Okay, let's look at our scripture that can be found in the back of the bulletin as we continue through the book of 1 Corinthians. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of the, this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one for who has understood the mind of the Lord. So as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ, the word of the Lord. Well, some of you may be familiar with this book. It's called The Secret. Uh, this was a self-help book uh, published uh, a while ago by Rhonda Bird, And it was a very popular book. It still is. Uh, it's been translated into over 50 languages and sold over 30 million copies. Uh, Oprah Winfrey was a big proponent of the book. In fact, she said this is the message she's been trying to share with the world for 21 years. Well, what exactly is the secret that Rhonda talks about? The secret is based on the belief of the pseudoscientific law of attraction, which claims that thoughts can change a person's life directly. Rhonda believes that uh, all humans emit an energy frequency. And in fact, everything vibrates at its own frequency. And when you go ahead and think a certain way, you emit a certain frequency and that frequency reaches out in the world to, if you will, summon or call those things that you desire so that they will come to you. In other words, your current life is a reflection of your past thoughts and you attract what you think about most to change your life. You must change your thoughts. Now, to be sure, there is value in the way that we think. But the reality is the secret is nonsense. Okay, it doesn't work. I've tried it. Okay, it just doesn't work. Well, people continue to look for the secret of life. 
The fact that we are searching for it speaks volumes about the human condition. You know, animals are not searching for their meaning or their purpose, only humans. It seems to be hardwired into us. But despite man's best efforts to discover it, most people live discontented, unfilled, and unsettled lives. And that is because you cannot find the secret by looking in this world, nor can you create it by sheer effort. But Paul here is speaking of the secret of life that has now been made known by God. Man cannot find it on his own, but God has revealed this secret and hidden wisdom, and the world has not understood it. In fact, it never will. But what is this secret wisdom? It is the forgiveness, favor, and love of God through Jesus Christ. See, what man is really looking for is to be in a right relationship with the one who made him. To become a child of God and to call him father. This secret has been revealed to the world through the Holy Spirit. And it is apprehended in this life through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is reminding the Corinthians that this was the message that was communicated to them, that they heard and received with joy. But they are now falling prey to the distortions of truth that the world is giving them. And it's robbing them of all of the blessings they have in Christ. He's seeking to remind them of where to go to find rest in the truth. Now, like the Corinthians, we too have heard the gospel, experienced the freedom and grace of God and contentment that comes in him. But the world beguiles and deceives and distorts. Who will we listen to? The world or the spirit? The point I'm trying to make in this sermon is this, that the spirit has shown us that the gospel of God is the answer to the secret of life. So we must listen to the spirit and not the world. We're going to look at three things in the time we have together. Number one, that we must embrace the gospel. Number two, that we must stop listening to the world. And finally, number three, that we must be led instead by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at point number one to embrace the gospel. Paul begins in verse one. When I came to you, brothers, I did, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. This word testimony, by the way, in the Greek is mysterion, from where we get the word mystery. In fact, some translations say the mystery of God. And Paul is using this word uh, uh, for a purpose. See, in the ancient world, mystery pertained to something secret such as a mystical experience that only a few select people would uh, be able to have that would transport them to an otherworldly bliss. But by contrast, Paul is using the word mystery to refer to God's saving purposes in and through Christ. (coughs) Excuse me. The mystery is the gospel. And Paul didn't proclaim it with lofty speech or wisdom of the world. Lofty means puffed up. He wasn't puffed up in his presentation. He didn't use earthly 
tactics. It wasn't a vehicle that Paul was using to win him admiration and favor. Instead, Paul understood that he needed to get out of the way and simply proclaim that which was true. See, Paul knew that the mystery is a truth revealed by God, not truth discovered by human investigation and argument. Humans do not find this truth. It finds them. And so Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything Paul was doing was to focus on the one preached rather than on the preacher. The person of Jesus Christ, who was the son of God, the word made flesh, the one who lived in perfect obedience to the father and revealed the father to the world. The one who was crucified, who sacrificed himself for his people so that we would not face the wrath of God, but rather receive forgiveness and justification and adoption. See, this wisdom that Paul is talking about is the gospel. Wisdom is just a synonym Paul is using for the gospel. And why does he call it wisdom? Well, think about what wisdom really is. The the biblical definition of wisdom is knowing and embracing God and his ways and acting in accordance with them. It's not simple knowledge, simply knowledge. It's actually knowing and embracing and responding to that which is true. And the gospel is that which brings wisdom to us. It shows us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus is the one that moves us from being enemies of God to sons and daughters of God. The gospel puts love in our hearts and moves us to want to obey and follow him. Paul continues on, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. What Paul is saying is the manner in which I brought you the gospel that itself also showed you the gospel. Because the gospel was Paul's sole focus, the the cross molded his entire message and his whole approach. See, Jesus Christ can only be preached as the crucified one, and no one can preach Christ crucified to win personal renown. And so Paul came in weakness. In other words, he didn't bolster himself up. He understood that his presence in doing it this way might be unimpressive to some. He worked with his hands. He was impoverished. He was vulnerable to persecution. But he refused to play to the crowds with a silver-tongued oratory. He came with fear and trembling showing Paul's humble response to the awe-inducing majesty of the gospel. Paul relied on the Holy Spirit, not himself. And he knew that wherever he went, he would face violent opposition. And so Paul, when he came to the Corinthians, cast himself on the mercy and grace of God. And God worked powerfully through him because of it. Notice verse 4, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration 
of the Spirit's power. Paul let the gospel do the talking, and God's Spirit showed up, providing revelation and transformation. It was Paul in Romans 1.16 said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of the salvation of man. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Paul says in verse 5, I did all of these things this way to you, Corinthians, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, the church needs to hear the gospel. But even today, people will go to a variety of churches in this country and we'll, we'll hear the gospel, which hopefully I am preaching to you, and the anti-gospel. What is the anti-gospel? Well, it's a gospel that really isn't a gospel. It's a preacher who is preaching the deluded gospel for popularity's sake. A wealth and prosperity gospel, for instance. It's the secret book in Christian clothing. And the worst thing that can happen is when people think they have given their hearts to Jesus Christ, and it's not Jesus Christ at all. But Paul is saying, that's not you. The reason you know that the Jesus you received is the true Jesus is because I did not preach myself, but rather him. Now, why does Paul start out saying all of these things to the Corinthians? He's saying this because he's trying to communicate to them that you are listening to the world's wisdom right now. The world's gospel. And the world's gospel says you must be first. You must become the center. You must aggregate power and money and fame. And that's precisely why there's so much division and strife in your church, Corinthians. Because you're not living in the blessings of the true gospel. Contentment and peace, self-control and love. Rather, you're striving and you're pushing and you're shoving. And Paul is saying, did I come to you that way? Was that the reason and how you were converted? No, it was the antithesis, antithesis of that because the gospel is the antithesis of that. For in the gospel, we see the love of Christ who put us first and made himself nothing. Paul is saying, I was like Christ and humbled myself before you because that is what the gospel demands. I put you first and relied on the spirit. And look what happened. You trusted Christ because of it. He's saying to them and to us that the solution to finding our life is in losing it. In embracing God's favor, which is already ours in Christ. He's saying to stop being deceived by the false gospel of the world. See, if the message of the secret is, I have the power to attract what I want to me, I can determine reality. It's me, 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 though, right? It's all on me to make it happen. There's a, another self-help book out right now. It is the subtle art of not giving a you-know-what. Okay, 
Now, I'm not meaning to be crass or to insult anyone, but this is the New York Times bestseller list right here. This book appeared on the New York Times bestseller list at number six and reached number one in 2017. And as of May 2020, it had spent 179 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Now, this guy, Mark Manson, says that his message is the exact opposite of the secret, or so he says. See, what he says in the subtle art of you-know-what, the moment you stop being positive all the time, you'll be happier than ever. In fact, all you need to do is figure out what matters in life so that you can ignore everything else, right? I hope his wife and his children are not everything else. In other words, don't try. The most productive thing that we can do is find something important to care about and ignore the meaningless and trivial causes. Manson goes on. These are some of his chapter headings. You are not special. (coughs) Your actions aren't that important, and your life is going to be boring, and that's fine. Once you've accepted this, you won't feel the pressure to stand out, and you'll be free to pursue whatever it is that you actually enjoy. And then his final chapter, Then You Die. To a certain extent, life's meaningless because we're all going to die eventually. The inevitability of death should give us the encouragement to do what we love. So don't think about death so much that you forget to live. Is it that different a message from the secret? The secret says you can conform the universe to you. You can be the God of all of it. The subtle art says, no, you can't. You're petty and you're small. So instead of trying to be God, just try to be a small God and don't care about anything else. But the message of the world, whichever you choose, is the same. You are the center. You make it happen or not. So how would you characterize your life? Is it characterized by grasping and struggling or trusting and resting? Do you have to be first or are you content to serve and lift up others? See, the gospel tells us that our lives do not have to be a continual, perpetual struggle to gain recognition and applause from the world. Rather, in the gospel, we find the truth that we were meant to rest in the grace and undeserved favor of God, who provides us with all that we need. You see, Jesus' grace frees us from the tyranny of having to be the center of the world. And Jesus is saying that you find your life when you give it to me. Whatever gospel you follow is the gospel that you will preach with your life, whether Paul or the Corinthians. You see, how you are living shows what you are trusting in. So look at your life, and it will tell you what is the gospel that you are putting the weight of your life on. See, the Spirit has shown us that the gospel of God is the answer to the secret of life. And so we must listen to the spirit, not the world. 
This leads me into my second point, to stop listening to the world. Verse 6, Paul continues on, and he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Now, when Paul is talking about mature, he's not talking about advanced Christians. He's not setting up some dichotomy between those who are in on the secret and those who are not. No, rather, mature refers to all Christians. Smart Christians, dumb Christians, advanced Christians, new Christians. The mature are all of those who have received the spirit of God who gives them the capacity to understand the wisdom of the gospel. (coughs) Paul is referring to wisdom here as the gospel. And he's saying that we impart. In other words, he's talking about all of those, myself included, who preach and teach the gospel. And what I'm sharing with you, what Paul is sharing, is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. Think of the rulers of this age, the earthly leaders, government leaders, social media influencers, journalists. He goes on and on and talks about the earthly age, but he's talking also of the supernatural forces that are behind them. See, the wisdom of this age presents a hostility to the cross. And the wisdom of this age will not last. Remember, Jesus, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But the wisdom of this age is doomed to pass away. It won't last. It won't last. In fact, the cross is the decisive event in a cosmic struggle that unmasks and overthrows the powers of this world that are doomed to be destroyed. Paul goes on, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. It's secret and hidden. He doesn't mean it's something mysterious or something that humans can't fathom. Rather, that it's something that human understanding cannot discover by itself, but can be understood and grasped once shown by God through the Holy Spirit. It's been hidden, and it remains hidden, in that it's only revealed through God's revelation. And it is hidden in that it is obscured to those who are perishing. But this wisdom, this gospel, was planned before the ages for our glory. Think about that, that the plan of salvation was put into place when God created humanity with God's decision to make man and woman simultaneously was the decision to redeem them all of history and before Jesus has known that he would go to the cross and suffer and die for our glory notice that this wisdom This gospel is for our glory. To bring to us the fullness of what we were meant to be. Which we could not achieve on our own efforts. Rather, it took the actions of God himself. 
You see, the reason that we are dissatisfied with the things of this world is because we were made for more. This word glory, doxa in the Greek, means splendor. It means beauty. Do you notice that we have an internal standard that we are comparing ourselves to, and we always come up short based on our efforts? And the world says to don't care, but we do. Because we were made in the image of Christ. And we were made in the image of Christ so that we would be like him. So that we would rule creation in his stead. And what is Jesus Christ like? He's glorious. Hebrews says that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Now, we're all familiar with glory, whether we realize it or not. Let me give you a small example. Say after the service, we were over in the fellowship hall, and Tom Brady walks in, and I introduce him. What would we do? We would applaud, wouldn't we? He's the greatest football player that ever played. And even those who have no appreciation for sports would stand in line in hopes of shaking his hand or getting an autograph. This athlete receives glory wherever he goes, renown, fame, and honor. And it still isn't enough, is it? In the earthly sense. See, we were made for that kind of glory. But the glory and renown that God would give us. As the Bible says, do you not know that you will judge angels? And we all gave it away. Peter Kreeft puts it this way. We behave as if we remember Eden and can't recapture it. Like kings and queens dressed in rags who are wandering the world in search of their thrones. If we had never reigned, why would we seek a throne? If we had always been beggars, why would we be discontent? People born beggars in a society of beggars accept themselves as they are. See, this guy says that you are not special, but he is wrong. Each of us was made in the image of God, and we've lost it. And regained it in Christ. You can pretend that it's not there. That truth, however, can be denied but not avoided. Our hunt on earth is for glory. But we see here that it is the gospel that brings us glory. That declares us righteous and faultless before Christ. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. The world couldn't comprehend this. And so they crucified Christ. In fact, the cross was a concrete symbol of Roman power. It basically said, dare to challenge us and we will crucify you. But however, their malevolence in this crucifixion sowed the seeds of their undoing. Because it is by the cross that God has signed the death warrant of all of those who refuse the grace of Jesus Christ. 
But for us who believe as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. No human wisdom could have seen the cross coming. A God who dies to give us the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And adoption as sons and daughters of God. When you think of that. And we think of our own ambition. Can we not say that our dreams are too small? C.S. Lewis says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward. And the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels. It would seem that the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with sex and drink and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, my friends, human efforts can never obtain the glory that is in your heart. No matter how hard you try, the secret will never work. No matter how hard we practice the subtle art, we can never break free. Because the wisdom of the world promises everything and gives nothing. Do you know that you are made up of 60% water? I'm sure you were thinking that just at this time, right? Water is extremely important. In fact, you can't go for three days without it. Luckily, 71% of the Earth's surface is covered in water. The downside is only 2.5% of it is drinkable. Almost all the rest is seawater. Now, it looks like regular water. It's beautiful. But salt water, seawater, contains 3.5% salt, while drinking water has almost no salt. They may look very similar, but the difference is deadly. See, our blood is regulated in such a way to deliver the nutrients throughout our body. And so sodium levels must be maintained at a precise level. And sodium affects the bloodstream. We know this, right? When you eat a salty meal, your brain starts communicating to you, drink water, drink water. Because that salty, uh, that salt, that sodium in the system is impeding nutrients from traveling throughout your body. The kidneys are also working to get salt out of the system. And when it's the other way around, you don't have enough salt, they're draining water. But you see, kidneys can't keep up with 3.5% salinity. So if you're in a boat and you start to get thirsty, your body is screaming, drink water, drink water. But all you have is seawater. And so you start drinking. And your body starts screaming, drink more water, drink more water. And you continue to drink and you continue to die. Because as a last ditch effort, it will take the water from your cells to try to dilute the bloodstream and you will become dehydrated and go mad and die. The less 
more you drink, the less satisfied you are. See, the world provides a saltwater gospel. It promises glory, but it brings emptiness and shame and separates you from God. But this is the world that we live in. We're surrounded by it. So how do we who are surrounded by the world and its wisdom not succumb to it? Much like water, watch your intake. Do I go to church on Sunday and hear the gospel? And yet throughout the week, I never open my Bible. I never seek God to be with him, to hear the truth. I never pray. Rather, I turn on my social media and I have a steady diet of Fox News or CNN or Facebook. Am I during the week surrounded by people who don't know Christ, who are walking in the opposite way as me? Or am I meeting with Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the week who are reminding me of that which is true? Whether in community group or men's group or lighthouse groups or having lunch with a brother or sister? Am I saying to not be in relationship with people who do not know Christ? Absolutely not. But what I'm saying is that we need to watch our intake. The gospel says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what are you drinking during the day? And I quote Galadriel from the Rings of Power. One does not satisfy their thirst by drinking seawater. It is the spirit that has shown us the gospel of God. We must listen to the spirit, not the world. And this, of course, is my third point. Paul is saying what I have preached to you. God continues to preach to you through the spirit. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Holy, through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Paul is now shifting his focus to the means by which God continues to reveal his truth to us. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Think of yourself and the thoughts and the internal dialogue that you have. There are things in you that no one else knows about. But your spirit knows about. The spirit of God lives inside of God. And knows the heart of God. And it says here in verse 12 that we have not received the spirit of the world. But the spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. See if you are a Christian what spirit do you have? What spirit has God given you? Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And it has been given to you so that you might understand what God has freely given us. Not something that we earned, not what we have to go out and get, 
but the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. The spirit continues to communicate and illuminate for how could we understand and fathom the greatness of the gift of Jesus Christ. That is why he gives us the spirit, right? Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will take from what is mine and he will let you know what it is. He comes alongside of us. Paul says in verse 13, this is what we're imparting. In words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Who are those who are spiritual? Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Those who can understand and answer and and comprehend. The natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And they're not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural person is not a Christian. I remember becoming a Christian and walking into school the next day and telling my friends that Jesus Christ was the Lord. And they looked at me like I was insane. And I looked at them like they were insane. Never mind the fact that I would have thought I was insane myself the day before. What was the difference? The difference was the day before I was a natural man. The day after, I was a spiritual man. The spiritual person judges all things, verse 15, but is himself to be judged by no one. See, we have the ability through the spirit to judge the world rightly. And we do not have to allow ourselves to be judged by the world because it has no judgment over us. It cannot judge accurately. And who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In the spirit, we can see and understand the humility and the life of Jesus Christ. And we can adopt through the spirit that same mindset. We have everything we need in the gospel. And we have the one that God has given us to show us what it is that we have. I don't know if you ever watched the Beverly Hillbillies. I'll close with this thought. The Clampett family, remember? The Beverly Hillbillies is actually based on a true story of the Jones family who lived in rural Tennessee, Neil and Ellie and their eight children. And they bought a farm on 60 uh, 60 acres of land. But unfortunately, the soil was really bad. And so they were on the edge of starvation. They were hunting, just barely surviving. But lo and behold, an oil survey company went to do a routine check on land and discovered that there was a massive oil reservoir underneath this. And they communicated to Neil and Ellie that they would be receiving a $10,000 a month check back then for the rest of their life. Now, let me ask you the question. When did Neil and Ellie and their eight children become rich? When they got a call from the company? When they received the first check? Neither. They became rich the day they bought the land. They just didn't know it, right? They needed to hear it, to be assured of it. I wonder if 
They had had an answering machine of every day they just kept on pressing the button to hear. What if they didn't believe the oil company? What if they never went to the mailbox to actually pick up the check? Wouldn't that be the greatest tragedy? To be wealthy beyond belief, but to never experience the blessings and benefits of it. I love this quote. The greatest thing we can desire next to the glory of God is our own salvation. And the sweetest thing that we can desire is the assurance of our salvation. In this life, we cannot get higher than to be assured of that, which in the next life is to be enjoyed. All saints shall enjoy a heaven when they leave this earth. Some saints enjoy a heaven while they are here on earth. See, my friends, after this sermon, you will go out into the world. And you will hear two voices. The voice of the world and the voice of the Spirit of Christ. And they will be saying two exact contradictory things. Which will you listen to? See, that's why the Bible says to be led by the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. Continual daily dependence on the Spirit of Jesus Christ. God wants to continually be renewing your mind and will do so as we submit to his Holy Spirit. See, you have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God that you may understand what God has freely given you. So choose who you listen to. Watch your intake. Reject the wisdom of the world. Be led by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has shown us that the gospel of God is the answer to the secret of life. We must listen to the Spirit and not the world. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for all of the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. The answer Christ in us, the hope of glory. God, let us not be satisfied with the things of this world. It's like drinking seawater. But rather to feast and rest on the truth that you continue to impart to us through your Holy Spirit. Let us base our hope on that. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.